0: Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 59. Mix A double Satori with cheese. In this special episode of Buddhist Geeks, we have a roundtable discussion with two young practitioners about Brad Warner's criticisms of the big mind process. Join us for this exciting, informal, and engaging dialogue. This is part one of a two-part series.
1: Vince Horn here, joined today by Ryan Olkey and a couple awesome guests, but before I introduce them, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this experiment we're performing, which we're calling Geeks,
2: geeks of the,
1: the Round, round, round table. Table.
2: The table,
0: the table that's round, is round. <laughs> Geeks, of, geeks. geeks <laughs> of the Round <laughs> Table. table.
1: it's subtle geeks <laughs> of the round table so today we've got it's more uh,
2: oblong really
1: yeah it's more of an oblong table but that didn't seem to flow off the tongue as easily so
3: well, volvic <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, on the vulvic table today we have uh, <laughs>
1: a couple local geeks our friends and this is an experiment we want to perform where we we bring some friends in, some just down-to-earth practitioner, people that aren't necessarily teachers, but people who have been practicing in the Buddhist tradition, who have a close connection to it, and who also like to talk about issues related to Buddhist practice and Buddhist theory. And today we have a good friend of mine, Kelly sosan Bear. And we used to work together at Ken Wilber's Integral Institute, which is now called Integral Life. It kind of differentiated into a nonprofit and for-profit sector. And the for-profit is called Integral Life. Thanks for being here, Kelly.
3: Thanks for having me. It's great.
1: Yeah. And then we also have Duff McDuffie, who's been on the show several times. Good to be here again. Yeah. Yeah. And Kelly and Duff both have kind of interesting perspectives coming in this kind of dialogue. And Kelly is actually a student of Genpo Roshi's. And today we're going to be talking about an article that Brad Warner, Zen Master Brad Warner wrote called Big Mind is a Big Load of Horseshit. <laughs> Several months ago he wrote this article and it's it's a pretty scathing critique. You could call it an attack on Genpo Roshi's big mind process. And we wanted to use that article as a jumping off point because it's got conflict in there. It's got some mm-hmm. controversy and we figured it'd be a good place to start a conversation. So Kelly's actually representing a view where she's had experience with this process and she's studied a long time with Genpo and so she'll be adding something unique to the conversation from that perspective. And Duff, he's tried Big Mind a couple times, I hear. And mm-hmm. he also is really into voice dialogue, which is what Big Mind's based on. So Duff will be coming from a little bit more skeptical point of view, but we'll have something interesting to offer. And both Ryan and I have varying degrees of experience with Big Mind and we'll just be contributing to the conversation mm-hmm. as necessary.
0: Yeah. And so one other thing about this experiment I just want to bring up is that the intention is to be a little bit more lively, with this type of discussion so a lot of times we interview folks and we kind of give them a platform to share their perspectives on things but this is like a little bit where we could have a little bit of going back and forth kind of what we've had on comments before like listeners will get back and forth on even this very subject before and so we're trying to do that in audio form so we might do this regularly where we get people together and have a really (laughs) exciting conversation
3: I'm glad to be a guinea pig for sure. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no
1: doubt. Cool. So starting off, I'd like to throw out the question, because Brad's article is a pretty scathing critique. And the the first thing I noticed after reading it the first time was that he hadn't tried the process. (laughs) And so I'm just wondering, uh, are his criticisms even valid if he hasn't tried it? What do you guys think?
2: (laughs) Well, it's curious. I mean, obviously, if you haven't tried something, you can't know experientially whether it's valid or not. But some of his critiques... Are more about general questions right. that come up.
0: Mm, that's a good point
2: for Buddhist practice, and especially around what seem to be marketing Buddhist practice. Um, you know, some mm-hmm. of the things, like for instance, one of the claims of Big Mind is you will have in one day before lunch actually the clarity and experience that a Zen master has. That's but, quite an outrageous claim yeah. for a technique. And, you know, we can go into that, like, does that actually happen? And what, what does that mean even?
0: Right. Yeah, so there's some principles at play, right? So mm-hmm. the technique as a whole, you might not be able to critique. And so I've never done it, big mind process yet. But, you know, you can apply certain things that one does know about Buddhist practice and apply that to the technique. So certain claims. Mm-hmm. Like, can you have a satori experience doing this process Mm -hmm. and which means can you have a satori experience just all of a sudden so there's a debate about sudden and gradual enlightenment and practice and that can be debated whether you've done the practice or not if you think it's just not possible i don't know anybody
2: i don't know anybody who practices buddhism well it seems like almost everybody has had a sudden experience at some point in their
0: life well see i know people who would debate that and say that's not possible i'm not saying yeah
3: Um, there's (laughs) you know a lot of this critique or what could be called attack by some is is really a lot of loaded terminology that has definitions depending on where you're coming from satori or kensho mm-hmm. could mean to some people and how i see it and hear it and feel it played out in the zen community as a non-dual state experience meaning you have experience it's a state it comes mm-hmm. right you experience it and it goes it's yeah. not it's not a trait yes it's not some place that you're living from and so yeah. When I hear this, I just feel like you can have a Kensho or a Satori experience to the big mind process. Mm-hmm. I have personally myself and I've known others that have as well. It's not where it says here, the clarity and experience of a Zen master. It's not you're enlightened as a Zen master. It's you have a non-dual experience.
0: Right. Well, there's a, a rub to it. And this is something that you were bringing up def- mm-hmm. as a potential conversation is the marketing of it. So when I read that, I was like, yeah, yeah if you're going on a literal claim and maybe not seeing just as marketing, it's fishy because it kind of can read like oh it means you are enlightened like a zen master mm-hmm. that the deal is done which is kind of how brad goes about the critique but if it mm-hmm. means like you'll have a temporary experience yeah of what it's like to be a zen master yeah I think that's a m- different claim yeah so there's an issue of marketing going on here or is there marketing or what's the claim and,
3: and how do you translate a satori or a kensho experience so that an everyday kind of lay person would understand that and That's true. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's the reason for the wording and not so much as a marketing ploy, but just trying to get Mm. something out to the masses or a way to kind of translate down to meet people where they're at in a certain way, just to get them interested, just to see. That's
2: a good point. That's a really good point. And the funny thing is, I had one of my first so-called spiritual experiences in my teenage years. I'd picked up a book on Zen Cohen's. Mm -hmm. It was just like a little popular, stupid square book. And I was extremely skeptic at the time. So um, my rational mind was, furious. And so I read through the whole thing. And about a week later, all of a sudden, I had for about 20 or 30 seconds, my mind quieted. Um, I was around a bunch of people. and I just had this bliss and love for everybody. And so yeah, there's been techniques since the beginning of Buddhism that have given the clarity and experience that the Zen master has in an instant. Mm-hmm. Of course, it took about a week of hibernating for me. But I mean, <laughs> Zen koans have been around as part of the tradition for quite some time. Mm-hmm. this is an interesting point
0: and yeah like that's so a great point i mean we could look at this and this is a new thing and that's part of the issue too is this is innovation happening in buddhism but like, you can look at the tradition and find it everywhere so Jin pointing out instructions seem very much on par of this and if you look at the claims right. and what you find in the tradition they make the same claims all the time um so on the other hand i still know people who practice in all the traditions that will very much debate duff saying he had that experience and even if the, it says it in a Tibetan text, Sojin Master Padmasambhava said, you know, like, they're still like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But no, not really. You can't do that. So there's a, a lot of issues. Around.
3: Yeah. And it's how can you know someone's interiors if you're not them, you know? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: that's that's another big uh, question. And then if you bring that statement far enough, you can be like, well, how do you know then what the big mind process can or can't do for other people? So you can only mm-hmm. go so far with that. Yeah, you can only know thinking. it for
3: yourself. And as Brad actually hasn't tried it, so how can he know it for himself? Right. So, I want to know what's the actual deeper issue. Is mm-hmm. it that he's coming from the Soto school of Zen mm-hmm. right. and Roshi's actually coming from, Roshi actually is both Soto and Rinzai. Right. Uh, so is there just a clash of schools of Zen? Is that the issue? Is it an issue of development? Is Brad more traditional kind of Zen person, more fundamentalist in a certain way? I right. think that
0: clash can definitely happen. It happens in Tibetan mm-hmm. tradition between Gelugpa and Nyingma.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Nyingma very much emphasizes this sudden experience. Gelugpa definitely not, and they've been fuming about it for yeah a thousand years. This is in you know? every
1: every tradition, really. It's a <laughs> <And> this
3: is a <laughs> world problem everywhere yeah. you look. It doesn't it's not just in the Buddhist traditions. I think Everywhere. it's good that,
0: that Brad's taken us through the ringer, though, or at least someone is. I think that's fair enough to bring new innovative things into question. Sure, I don't know to sure. what degree that might... There's another Well, thing I think like, then
3: you have to. You have to bring things into question. You can't just blindly accept them. Right. But you can't just blindly not accept them without experiencing them either. Of
0: course, the funny thing is, is I think, and this comes from my conversations with Phil Stanley, Professor Naropa, has been studying both as a practitioner and an academic Tibetan Buddhism for a long time that we have a funny idea of what's happened in the past and what's happening now. So when things like this happen, we think, holy shit, it's so different. Oh my gosh, I can't do it. When that stuff was happening all the time, mm-hmm. like when Buddhism was forming in Japan and Tibet and Thailand, Burma, everywhere, like these things would just happen. It, would just, it was more normal. <laughs> to, yeah. In terms so of innovation. Yeah. Or- so like, I think it's good that we're questioning, but we shouldn't freak out as much, I don't think, that when someone does something like this, because it's happened plenty of time.
3: Yeah, I mean, change is hard. Evolution is hard. It looks different. It can be scary. And it's calling a lot of things into question. I don't mind people that are skeptical or have criticism or critique. I think that's totally fine and valid and actually much, much needed. It's when it Mm -hmm. turns into attack that turns problematic.
2: Right. Well, let me change the pace just slightly here. And um, I was looking up skillful means on Wikipedia. Maybe not the best source, but there's some good (laughs) stuff on Buddhism. There's another Um, debate. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I really like the entry for upaya or skillful means. Um, let me read just a little bit here to bring into our conversation. Uh, upaya Kaushalya, is that correct, Brian?
0: <laughs> I'm Tibetan only. Sorry, oh, I don't
2: okay. know. <laughs> it's is a concept that emphasizes that practitioners may use their own specific methods or techniques in order to see suffering and introduce others to the Dharma. The implication is that even if a technique, view, etc., is not ultimately true. In the highest sense, it may still be an expedient practice to perform or view or hold, i.e. it may bring the practitioner closer to true realization anyway. One consequence of this is that it is possible to endorse a form of Buddhist practice as viable while simultaneously critiquing its premises or contrasting it unfavorably to another higher practice. Um, This seems like a clear example of upaya in terms of emphasizing, or it seems like whenever you emphasize in Buddhism a quick state experience, you are in some ways pointing to what's ultimately true, and in some ways you're pointing to something that is temporary and ephemeral and suffers from or ha- contains impermanence and if
0: attached to is suffering and all that what do you guys think i think it makes perfect sense you know when i read it and i don't think we'll take this perspective here i see these arguments happening all the time and it gets really lame in my opinion like mm-hmm. so they'll see that and they'll say well but we question that person's ability or insight to be able to do that in the first place and then they it's just kind of like this endless argument i think it's sometimes mm-hmm. just hollow like there's nothing there but They just don't like what's going on, whether it's big mind or something else. And so no really depth of conversation happens, even if there's some good criticism to be had. And so it's just kind of this endless Buddhist... Deconstruction, really. Yeah, really, deconstruction. It's like, okay, well, you cited that, and now I'll cite this. And then the conversation just spirals down. Uh I think this is what's happening, though. I mean, that's perfectly said, I mean, right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah,
1: well, you know, it's interesting. When we interviewed Genpo on Buddhist Geeks a while back, one thing he said that struck me was that in his experience, having done the traditional Zen training for years, decades, and then having stumbled across this method and using it, he actually finds that it catalyzes the process of insight faster in practitioners compared to the traditional Zen training of Shikantaza and Koan study. And I think that's really an amazing claim, Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. and that's potentially really profound Mm -hmm. because it seems to have something to do with the big mind process. And I think part of the skillful means thing is it ties in exactly with what Duff was saying. Is, like, is this really a method that catalyzes the process of insight? And if it is, that's great. And mm-hmm. to me, Brad's criticism is basically like there, he doesn't think there's any way that it's possible that it does. And that enlightenment isn't easy. It's mm-hmm. something that takes years and years and years and years and years. It's very difficult. He doesn't even like the word. And he's coming from this perspective. Whereas mm-hmm. Genpo, I see coming from a more innovative perspective of having taught this stuff for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I actually... For a GEMPO's perspective, it seems more hopeful <laughs> and more uh, optimistic, really.
0: Yeah. And I mean, talking a little bit about it specifically, the process. I mean, so now I have not tried it. This mm-hmm. is what we were talking about earlier. Can you say anything about it if you haven't tried it? But it seems to me like it makes a lot of sense, actually, from what I've heard about the voice dialogue and calling out different voices. It seems like on par with a lot of analytical meditations that are done in Tibetan Buddhism. I mean, it's basically breaking down what you think yourself is and saying, like, actually, you have all these different voices that you're trying to tie together and eventually it just kind of drops because you start to see that there's actually a lot more happening there. And so one example is like breaking down your consciousnesses. So not one single consciousness. You have your eye consciousness, your ear consciousness, and you actually go through this process in meditation, Mm -hmm. which is a very traditional, very common practice, not Mm -hmm. used necessarily in the way of getting a sudden experience, but the process seems very similar to me from other practices I've done and just simply breaking things down. So... If I had to guess,
1: I would say it makes sense that it works, but yeah, I, I haven't done it. <laughs> that's, that's my sense, too. Oh, what is insight, really? Mm. There are all these techniques from all these different traditions. There are inquiry questions. There are all these calming practices. There are all these body practices. There mm. are all these different techniques and different traditions, koan study. It seems like all of them are getting toward the same thing, which is to inquire into the nature mm. of reality right. and to see what's actually going on. here. And I mean, the question, does big mind do that? I mean, it seems like definitely can do that. Mm. So
3: yeah, I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) it worked for me. I can only speak for myself. But, you know, in terms of the big mind process, I do see it as a skillful means, as a upaya. And in terms of, uh, or just in the words of really Kalu Rinpoche, who said, I am a blind man with an umbrella, and wherever the Dharma lands is fine with me. It's kind of Mm. how I see Mm. the big mind process. So to me, it's like Genpa Roshi is a Zen master. He's been tasked by his teacher, Mizumi Roshi, to flourish mm. the Dharma seed in the West. Mm. And so through this process, it's not like he went out and tried to make this process up. It just kind of came to him one day. Mm. Realized that this process is something that can reach a lot of people very quickly to give them a very quick, just this experience of Zen, mm. a non-dual mm-hmm. experience, a state experience that is not, doesn't stay with you. It's a fleeting experience, but that, instead of just sitting for five years waiting for that to happen and getting discouraged and maybe leaving the tradition or, or right. just kind of skipping around different traditions because you're not finding anything, right. this is actually a way to give someone a glimpse. And then he always says, you have to follow this up with practice, you have zazen. To yeah. right? And so in, in, in that way, it's a process.
0: In
2: general, I think that's a really good way to go about things. I tend to fall on the discipline side of the camp, too. You know, I prefer 10-day intensive Vipassana courses, SN Goenka style, to any sort of sudden experience. But honestly, that's because I've had a lot of experiences, whether through that silly koan thing that I did when I was 13, or just from life. I mean, life will hit you with spiritual experiences, whether you like them or not, oftentimes, and you got to figure out how to integrate them, and they come randomly, but, you know, eventually you do need to do a practice and be committed to something in order to really live the insight. That's mm.
3: totally true. And that's something that Roshi always encourages. You know, this is a process of a glimpse of your true self yeah. or the nature of reality. And it, it needs to be followed up with practice. Mm-hmm. The other thing about the big mind process that I think a lot of people may be confused about is that you just don't do it one time. It's actually a process. So you, you mm-hmm. continuously practice in big mind. You don't do it just once. You actually, you do it. Right. More than once, and more than once, and you deepen your experience, and then you follow it up with a sitting Zazen practice to actually mm. ground it.
0: This is very, I mean, very similar to how my teacher teaches uh, Sok Jin. Like there's a pointing out instructions, but then those instructions themselves are like what you practice mm-hmm. over and over again, mm-hmm. and you still have to work at it. Yeah. It's not done in one yeah, afternoon. You have to work.
2: You know, yeah. it's not
3: the drive-through of McDonald's. Right. It's not like you know, McZen. <laughs> McZen, <laughs> you know. Mm, <laughs> you, you're definitely, Satori you know, cheese. <laughs> you're getting your ass on that cushion, and you're gonna sit. You right. know, that's the other half of it.
1: is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network.